Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back. I'm Shannon. And I'm Danica. We're going to tell you the story of Adam Walsh and his beloved father, John Walsh. I know you're probably thinking we all know about this case and we do try to do lesser known cases, but it's Father's Day weekend and we wanted to do a case that could spotlight an amazing dad and who better than John Walsh. It's a hot summer day in July of 1981 in Hollywood, Florida. Revy and her son, Adam, make a stop at Sears for her to find a lamp. On the way to the lighting department, they pass some teens playing video games. Adam, who was six at the time, asked his mother if he can stay there and watch them play the games. She decides she won't be long finding a lamp and agrees to let him stay there. In the meantime, the boys were causing some commotion in the store and the security guard tells them to leave. Apparently, Adam was shy and when the boys were asked to leave, they assumed he didn't want to speak up and he left with the boys too, or left somewhere anyway. She goes back to get Adam, and he isn't there. She has him paged over the intercom, and he never shows up. The security guard tells her about him leaving with the teens, and that is the last time he's ever seen. She calls her husband, John, and they call the police to report him missing. There were no witnesses that saw him leave or being taken, just the account of what the security guard said. I know now we would all be saying, let's find the camera footage. There has to be some around, but this is 1981, and that just wasn't the case then. They have no leads or anything to go on, but on August 10th, 1981, two men were fishing and discovered Adam's head in a canal in Vero Beach. How far is that from Hollywood, Florida? It's about 130 miles away. Did they locate his body anywhere close by? No, his body has never been found to this day. Sadly, finding his head didn't turn up much more leads than they already had, which was pretty much nothing, and the case went cold. The washes didn't just sit there, though they acted. They saw a need, and they created the Adam Wash Outreach Center for Missing Children in Florida. This was in large part due to their surprise that there was no coordination between being done by the police to search for Adam. There were no resources on the state or national level to help parents like them. This would later merge in 1990 with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They helped with the creation of the Missing Children Act of 1982 as well. Congress required that the FBI to record missing children in the National Crime Information Center computer, also known as NCIC. This is to aid law enforcement. This is still in effect as of today. In 1984, they helped with the 1984 Federal Missing Children's Assistance Act. This is a study to determine how many missing children have been reported by families and a number you can use to call in. 
Sadly, police didn't have all of these as reported missing, but runaways, of course. These aren't always in states, definitely not always utilized because we still know of kids in the police that police determine to be runaways that aren't searched for. That's true and always breaks my heart to hear those cases. While the washes are doing all they can for the other families in the future, police arrest a man by the name of Otis Tool. If you know much about true crime, I'm sure this name is familiar to you. If it isn't, let me give you a little rundown on Otis. He grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, but did not have a good childhood by any means. He was sexually abused as a child by a family friend of his father's and by his very own older sister and apparently others. His father was an alcoholic who ran out on his family. His mother was abusive and forced him to wear girls' clothes as a child. So I know like the family was really poor. She's trying to be a difficult devil's advocate here. Um, but do you think it had to do with him wearing the girls' clothes, like hand-me-downs from his sister? Or do you think it was just done to be cruel? I'm not sure, to be honest. I would assume since he told this story, it had to have a really adverse effect on him. But maybe nobody ever asked why. I know my grandmother put whatever she could find on my dad, she said, because they were just dirt poor and didn't have the money for clothes. So that could be the case here, too. But he also claims his grandmother was a Satanist and she exposed him to Satanic practices, which she claims involved gray me. We've talked about Satanic cults and practices, and that isn't something that they do. <laughs> yes, and I am telling you what he claims was his upbringing, but you will learn that telling the truth isn't really his strong suit. I'm not discounting what he's saying about his childhood because I haven't spoken to anyone to verify any of that. They were poor and she may have taken him to rob graves and he was associated with Satan or he may have been associated with Satan or a cult. But to be honest, I don't know for sure. Otis says by the time he was 10, he knew he was gay and started hanging around gay bars. He says he slept in abandoned houses and took to prostitution and panhandling at a young age to make ends meet. He claims to have committed his first murder at the age of 14 when a man propositioned him for sex. He apparently ran over the man with his own car and killed him. For him to have started out as a sex worker in his teens, this seems odd, but then again, this is a lot like Eileen Warnaz. It could also have been what gave him the idea that people would pay him for sex. I really don't know. Was the murder ever confirmed? Hey, we want to take a quick minute to let you know about a discount that is just for our fans. You can go to Fresh Delicious Creations. The link will be in our show notes and you can use discount code Mimosas to get 10% off. To get you a car freshie for your car to be smelling good this summer. Not that I could find, or maybe that I didn't try that hard to, or they didn't try that hard to confirm it. Otis had an IQ of 75, which means he wasn't the smartest. He suffered from epilepsy as well as with personality disorder. He spent his life as a drifter just getting by any way he could. And in 1975, he met a man named Henry Lee Lucas. 
at a soup kitchen in Jacksonville, Florida. The two men did not bring out the best in each other, to say the least. They fed off each other's sick ideas, which is my opinion. The two men were thought to be lovers and partners in crime. Once Otis and Henry were both apprehended, Otis claimed to have helped Henry with as many as 108 murders. He claimed some of the murders were due to the cult called the Hands of Death. The police never found any sign this cult even existed. I get serial killers who can change things up, but for me, so many of the things in these two murders, the two of the men, I just can't see happening. They killed men and women, death by strangulation, gunshot, arson. It just seems odd to me, and we never really know how many these two men killed. They took credit for a lot of unsolved murders, and the Texas Rangers closed a lot of cases due to their confessions. If you look back through all of all of this, it wouldn't be possible to have committed some of the murders they claimed due to where and when the murders occurred. They just couldn't have been two places at the same time. All I can agree on is that they need to be behind bars. I failed to mention that Otis also had a fascination with arson. This apparently was a turn for him, which or turn on for him, which led to his arrest. On January 4th, 1982, Otis set fire to a boarding house. A 65-year-old man named George Sonnenberg was in the house when it burned. Otis claimed the two were lovers and they got into an argument and he set fire on the house. Talk about a love scorned. Yes. So Otis was arrested in April of 1983 for another fire he set and confessed to the murder in 1982 that claimed George's life while he was in custody. In fact, Otis loved confessing to murders and then recanting them. He confessed to hundreds of murders and would later recant them. And one of them was the murder of Adam Walsh. Otis said he picked up the boy outside of Sears by offering him candy and toys. Adam later began to cry, and Otis says he started punching him. He drove to a remote area, raped Adam, cut off his head with a machete, and he says he rode around with Adam's head for several days because he forgot about it, and then he noticed it. Once he noticed it, he threw it in the canal. Of course, he would later recant to this murder as well. Okay, well, what about evidence? Do the police have any that could, like, corroborate the confession? That would be ideal, wouldn't it? So the police take his car to be processed by the crime lab. They find blood on the seats, but later they announce they lost his car and the machete that was also being processed. Hang on, wait, wait, wait. They lost an entire car? Yes, I have no idea how you do this. I guess shoddy police work. Lack of accountability. I'm really not sure. One thing I will say is if you can't locate a car in your own dang possession, I don't have much faith in you finding my child's killer. I don't want to put the police down. They often do great work, but this isn't one of those times. So Otis is put away due to the murder of George and sentenced to death. He's later found guilty of strangling a 19-year-old in February of 1983 and received a second death sentence. Both of those were later converted to life in prison. Otis ended up dying at the age of 49 of cirrhosis of the liver in prison. 
No one claimed his body, and it is buried at the Florida State Prison Cemetery. While there may have been a sliver of hope in getting the evil villain that took his son, Otis wasn't charged with Adam's murder, and this still had John fighting for some sort of justice, if not for Adam, then for others. He got a deal with Fox, and America's Most Wanted first aired in 1988. I'm sure all of you true crime lovers have heard of this. Before we had ID and Oxygen and other designated channels, we got a little taste of true crime with this. It was the longest running crime show and aided in the capture of over 1,000 pieces of crap fugitives. The show ran until 2011. While the show was on, John also had a talk show during the day called The John Walsh Show from 2002 to 2004, which honestly, I don't remember that ever seeing or hearing of that show. So John felt two shows were too demanding and asked to be released from the contract for the talk show. He went on to host The Hunt with John Walsh for a time and then also um, In Pursuit with John Walsh. All his work in television has been geared to finding the so-called bad guys and bringing them to justice. I'm sure that has to be some kind of like cathartic outlet or maybe even a way of dealing with the guilt for not being able to find Adam's killer. That's true. As a father, you want to always be able to protect your kids and some men feel like a failure if they can't. And I can't even begin to relate to the pain he and his wife have gone through during all this. In fact, before the murder of his son, he was working on a project. Danica, do you want to read this quote by John that was in the People magazine in 1997? Sure. Quote, before the murder, I was so happy. We were building our dream project, a $26 million hotel. I lost everything. I couldn't work. Our house went into foreclosure. End quote. So I just want to remind everyone that while he has done really great, amazing things, he's still human. He still grieved and probably always will. In 1997, he wrote a book called Tears of Rage, From Grieving Father to Crusader for Justice, the untold story of Adam Adam Walsh. In 2006, John was back at it again, changing legislation. Thank you. And the Adam Walsh Act was passed. This consists of new criminal offenses, increased statutory mandatory minimum sentences, the statute of limitations for most sex crimes, and increased and expanded government ability to get DNA from those who have not been convicted of a crime but have been arrested, to name a few things. The Walshes began asking the Hollywood police to reopen the case into Adam. After two years, in 2008, they determined that Otis Toole was the one who murdered Adam. What specifically did they have to make that determination? Well, John requested retired Miami Beach detective Joe Matthews to look into the case. He apparently interviewed witnesses that were unknown before. He also verified other unfounded witness statements. They found a roll of film the police department failed to have developed, um, and it was on the inside of Otis Toole's cars with the pictures were of. One of the pictures is said to be of a bloody face print in the carpet where Otis said he had Adam's head. That doesn't prove anything. I'm not, I'm not saying you didn't do it, but you can't just decide you did it with this. I completely agree. 
free? I mean, a bloody face print that could be anyone. He's claimed to be a serial killer. I know. It is flimsy evidence at best. But the Hollywood Police Department said it is officially closed and the Walshes feel like they have the serial killer too. So here's a clip um, from John after the case is closed. John has done an excellent job at turning a horrible situation into something that was hopefully helped others. It's so easy to sit in our pain and sorrow. I can't say that that's not what I would have done, but he took something terrible in his life and has been an advocate diligently searching for children and for catching and putting away criminals. We want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Thanks for all that you do. And let us know, do you think this is Otis Tool that killed Adam? We always recommend more bubbly and less OJ. Cheers! If you'd like to see pictures from today's episode, you can find us at murder.mimosas on Instagram. You can also find us at murder.mimosas on TikTok, Twitter. And if you have a case you would like us to do, you can send that to murder.mimosas at gmail.com. And lastly, we are on Facebook at Murder and Mimosas Podcast, where you can interact with us there. We love any type of feedback you can give us, so please rate and review us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you.